to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. Every situation, give me the word. Amen. So I hope to do that tonight. Um, I've been meditating, thinking on this one scripture, and maybe I'll just read it out. It says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who hath also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So let me pray for a moment. Father, we love you, Father. We're here and we're gathered because we love you. We love your word. We love your people. We love the things that you show us out of your word. And we're asking God, make it plain and clear to us tonight. Show us what you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, it's a new year. Whoever thought we'd hit 2023? <laughs> you know, I was born in 1949, and so that's a long time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, every you hear in the world, okay, January's here, New Year's resolutions. Not that I've ever made any, <laughs> because it never, it never sticks. It never sticks. Why? Because the world is looking to change the outside, and that ain't going to happen that way. God's kingdom works from the inside out, and we know that, and there's so much. You're going to be hearing tonight a lot of things you've heard before. These are not new scriptures. They're not new theories. It's just something that's going to connect, I hope, with each of our hearts. And um, so as you hear the word, don't, don't go, oh, yeah, I hear that. I know that, you know, <laughs> which can happen every once in a while. Um, but let's, let's listen to what God has been showing me. Hallelujah. Um, desires. We all have desires. We want to change. And something that um, I'm going to share, not only from the other sermons from Wednesdays and Sundays, but I've been... In this book, Maria and I and a few others, it's called Effortless Change by Andrew Womack. And so we've gone through this 19 weeks. It's almost five months. And this thing has been moving in my heart to talk about effortless change. They don't seem to go together. If you're making a change, you've got to put some effort into it. It's going to be something that you're diligent in doing and trying to make something different from what was before. Effortless is like the Staples button that you press and it says easy, the red button there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not difficult, it's just something. So that title just grabbed me, Effortless Change. All right, let me find out more about that. Um, to be changed is to be radically different. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to read in chapter 3, verse 18, and I'm going to read it in the King James, and then I'm going to read it in the Amplified. Okay, so King James, 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all with open face, meaning uncovered face, unveiled face, beholding as in a glass or a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now listen to it in the Amplified. And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the word of God as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Um, We're talking about change, and we're talking about effortless. So in this verse, we find two means of change. The first is the word of God, and the second is the spirit of God. So if we're being changed with an open face, we're talking about we're open to the Lord. We are not hiding from him, and we are not afraid of him. We are coming to him, and we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And we're changed. And that word changed in the Greek is metamorphos. And it's where we get our word metamorphosis coming from. So if you see a crawly, creepy caterpillar on all his legs, and then you see a butterfly, you'd never think that the two were connected somehow, that there was a change made so radical that it caused beauty out of something that was fuzzy and crawly and creepy. So... If we're being changed into the same image of the glory of the Lord, stop and think, what in your mind means glory to you? What would be God's glory in your heart? In the Greek, in this verse, it means, um, oh, wait, let me get my note. Thank you, Lord. In the Greek, glory means glory. That's why I couldn't think of it. <laughs> it actually means glory in an apparent a, a sense, in a very visible sense. So there we go. And um, it's funny because the root of that word actually means think. Now, how that ever connects, you have to understand the Greek mind. <laughs> because the Greeks have this thing, if you can imagine something, if you can think of something, if you can figure something out in your mind, then you have glory. Um, And it's something like, I forget the name of the guy, but he was Greek, and he was trying to think of some scientific something or other. And he sat in a tub, and the water got displaced. So he sat in it, and the water came out. And he went, Eureka! I now know what this scientific thing that I've been studying, trying to figure out what it is, it's, it's some kind of law of displacement. Don't ask. I really don't know that part. <laughs> but that's the kind of thing that Greeks were looking for. They're philosophers and everything. They wanted to have a lot of knowledge. But in the Hebrew, we find in Exodus that Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. And so the Hebrew word for glory in that one Okay, Lord, help me remember. Thank you. (laughs) I don't know where it is. It's somewhere in here. I don't know if it's Shekinah or not. Um, 
but it is, hold on, I think I almost found it. All right, let me think. Wait. It's like, here's another word. Think would never be, you know, a word in Greek for glory. Wait, what? Well, when you think about it, when you have a heavy trophy, there's weight to it. When you're really listening to someone, you give, you, you say there's, there's weight to his words. There's something very valuable. And it's funny because in Hebrew, not only is it weight, but it also means prosperity, abundance, and wealth. So in the Hebrew mind, of course, you think of Abraham and all the flocks that he had and all the wealth that he had. And so in the Hebrew mind, wealth and prosperity came along with glory. And so as in the Greek mind, understanding comes along with glory. So let's find out a little bit more about glory in the scriptures. Turn to Colossians 1.27. It's really hard for me to flow, but I'm telling you, this is the Lord is putting me on a limb here. I love it. <laughs> Hopefully it'll come out right. Um, okay, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 26. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Okay, so it's a mystery, and we're coming to God without a veiled face. We're coming to God fully open to what he has. Then in verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in the Old Testament, it was Moses. I didn't explain that to you, did I? Moses, when he went up to the mountain and God showed him his glory and God gave him the Ten Commandments the second time, he came down from the mountain and his face was glowing. And he had to cover it with a veil, not because he didn't want people to see the glory, because 2 Corinthians says he didn't want the people to see it diminish. He didn't want them to think he was special, but he didn't want them to see that the glory of God was going away. And yet here it says that on Moses, it was on his face temporarily. In us, Christ is in us, the glory's in us. So let's turn to Romans 5, 1 and 2. We're going to explore a little bit more of this glory. So Romans 5, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And that word rejoice means exalt. This is a hope that the Christians can extend of the glory of God. He is abiding in us by his spirit, and his glory does abide within us. But this is talking of the future where, if we turn to Romans 8, we'll find out what God's purpose is, our destiny is. So Romans 8, beginning in verse 29 
It's talking about God, for whom God did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's, of course, us. We've received him as our Savior, our Lord. And we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. I'm going to pause there because Hebrew says that Jesus is the outraying of the glory of God. So next it says, moreover, in verse 30, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So God sees us as the finished product Glorification is where we're heading. And this is part of what we need to know because half the time we don't even understand that God loves us. <laughs> you know, We have a hard time wrestling with that. Yes, God, you do love me. I'll tell you after 50 years of walking in the Lord, he's never let me down. He's never let me go. He could have plenty of times. But his steadfast love endures forever. And his glory is part of how he walked with us when he was on the earth. Jesus walked with sinners. And that's part of the glory of his holiness, <laughs> that he could love us at our state when he was holy. So, all right, let us go to... Second Corinthians chapter four. We start out in Second Corinthians chapter three, and we found out that we are changed by beholding the glory of the Lord in the Word of God and are changed by the Spirit of God. So let's read a little bit more about this. And and one thing I didn't explain too is when I think of glory too, I think of light. And in Matthew 17, when Jesus was on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, it says he was transfigured. His face shone like the sun, and his garments were as bright as light. And so there's, there's glory there. Um, and we'll find out. Well, keep your finger in 2 Corinthians. I'm jumping, but let's go to 2 Peter, because Peter was there when this happened. He saw this. And so in chapter, let's see, 2 Peter chapter 1, it says in verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, this is revival, right? We want to hear from God. We want to see God. This is something that definitely affected their lives and made him even remember it this far back, you know, after it had happened. But he goes on to say in verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. 
And this is what changes us, the more sure word of prophecy, in addition to meeting with God, which we all hunger after. But the word is there to change us. So it says, whereunto you do well that you take heed, and watch this, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. There's glory, there's the light of revelation, the inspiration from the Holy Spirit. Stay in the word until you get the revelation from the Lord. Stay in that verse. When I was a new Christian, um, the Lord led me to the book of Ephesians. And for the life of me, I didn't get it. I kept reading chapter one, which is filled with beauty and wonder. I didn't get it, and so I read it. I couldn't tell you how many times. I don't know, five, six, 10, 11. And finally, just one small portion of it leaped off the page, and I'm like, oh, you know, light dawns over marble head. You know, it's just something that the Holy Spirit wants to do. But stick with it. So for anybody, we aren't new Christians here, but for those that are new, it's like, stay with it. Stay in it. And if it's only one paragraph, one sentence, God's going to reveal to you what he wants you to know. So I like what it says. He continues in verse 20 of chapter 1. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And a lot of things that we don't know about the history of the Bible, how did we get it? How did it come to us? It, it started out with the Hebrews, and they were sharing the stories of the Old Testament, and they had priests that meticulously wrote down. If they made one mistake, they had, it could, didn't matter. They had filled the page with the word. They had to throw it out and start all over again. And they had washings as part of the rituals of writing down the word. And um, I even have a book here, How We Got Our Bible. And there, so it went from the Hebrew until um, most of the world was speaking Greek, and then also in Roman too. But the Hebrew scriptures were turned into Greek scriptures. And then from Greek scriptures, more in Martin Luther's time when the Catholic Church was over everything. Um, it was in Latin, but the people didn't understand Latin. And the church at that time, they weren't focused on the word like we are, thank God for Pastor Tom. They were focused on being the church and containing the word, but being the church. So this is what Martin Luther was trying to change not change denominations. He wanted the Catholic Church to recognize the word of God. Well, there were several men that came along, Tyndale, Wycliffe. These men tried to get the Bible into the people's language so they could understand it. So that's basically where, where it started with our English Bible. Let me read. This is amazing what happened to some of them. In the, the first one, Wycliffe Bible, God grant us, runs the prayer in the old Wycliffe Bible preface, to ken and to keep well holy writ 
and to suffer joyfully some pain for it at the last. What a meaning that prayer must have gained when the readers of the book, the common people, were burned with the copies round their necks, when husbands were made to witness against their wives and children forced to light the death fires of their parents and possessors of the banned Wycliffe Bible were hunted down as if they were wild beasts. Did you ever think that would ever happen? And then Tyndale. Tyndale was the man who um, made it even more clear for the common people. And he was a scholar, and he knew Hebrew and Greek, I believe. And uh, the printing press happened to come, happened to come along right at that time. And so the, the leaders in the church that were trying to ban the people's reading of this Bible, and they thought it was terrible, um, didn't realize that the printing press could exceed their efforts to get rid of it. But this man, Tyndale, we owe a lot to him. He ended up um, in Germany, exiled from his beloved England. And they put him in a prison, treated him very badly. And it says, um, on Friday, the 6th of October in 1536, he was strangled at the stake and then burned to ashes, fervently praying with his last words, Lord, open the king of England's eyes a prayer which was nearer to its answer than the heroic martyr deemed. And that's how we get our King James Bible, because God did open King James's eyes. And that's where we get this from. So do we treasure this? I haven't really, but to understand, this is the integrity of the word that's come down to us at the risk of lives. So. Um, this is part of why for us to be changed effortlessly, we need the word. Um, okay, so. All right. Let's. <laughs> okay, Second Peter 1. <laughs> I'm not sure if we've been there or not at this point. Ah, thank you. I love it. There's another teacher there sitting right there. <laughs> okay, 2 Corinthians 4. Oh boy, this is, comes right after that. That makes sense, Lord. Um, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hidden to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. And I do think of the Robinsons especially, and Pastor Tom and Becky. Things I know. All of you I know do the same. I just don't know about them. <laughs> so there we go. Um, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And we know that if we go in a dark room and we can't see a thing, sometimes going to bed, I shut all the lights in the house and then I'm trying to feel my way down the hallway, making sure I don't bump into stuff. Um, but if we turn the light on, we see things so much more clearly. Right. 
So God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend or overwhelm it, he has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. All right, so what have I been trying to say? First of all, that we have glory dwelling within us and we look forward to our future as glorified human beings, which is where Jesus is at the right hand of God, a glorified man praying for us now. Um, we have a radical transformation ahead. All right, let's look at Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. And see if something comes alive to you out of that from what we've shared already. Ephesians 1, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. I'm going to stop there, and let's turn to 2 Peter, and this is okay. We didn't get this one. So, Paul is saying, God is the Father of glory. And we need the Holy Spirit to reveal that glory in the knowledge of who he is and that our eyes would be enlightened so we could know what this hope is that we have for eternity. In 2 Peter, in chapter 1, um, all right, so we, I'm going to preface this with saying, all right, so say we're going through something difficult and our emotions are kind of going up and down and all over the place and it's a difficult situation. And a lot of times I find myself thinking very hard, who can I call? <laughs> you know, who can pray for me? <laughs> who will understand? <laughs> you know? and, and I realize that may not be the first place that I'm supposed to go. So here's something that Peter shares about that. He says in verse 2, grace, which we need, and peace, which we desperately need in those situations, be multiplied unto you through asking for prayer. No, through um, running hither and yon, <laughs> going to all these books. No, through the knowledge of God, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So he's called us to glory. Now look what it says in verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So it's our knowledge of God and who, what he has called us to and his word that makes us partakers 
of it. Easy change. Now, let's turn to Mark 4. I'm watching the time here. And it's definitely not going the way <laughs> I thought it would go, but praise God anyway. Turn to Mark 4 and keep your finger there, and I'm going to read 1 John. Hallelujah, one. First John chapter 3. Okay. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, not how are we the sons of God. That isn't a question. It's now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, and we've been talking about our future hope, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And I'm going to stop there for a moment because we were talking in the very beginning from 2 Corinthians about the mirror of the word that as we behold his glory, we are changed by the Spirit of God. And this says, when we finally see him in all of his glory, we're going to be just like him. And that's something that nobody, nobody can match. What in this world can match that? Nothing. But look at verse 3. And every man that has this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So there's a reason for the hope being there that motivates the change. And it's not something that we strive after or, or you know, try hard. It's not the carrot on the end of the stick. As we were reading in 2 Peter, it says, he, we've been given everything that we need for life and godliness. So as we, maybe that would be a great verse for me to meditate on. When I talk about meditation, we're going off on another tangent, but this is important. We're talking about devotional reading. So many of us, and I'm pulling on John's sermon too, is we read, and that's good. Sometimes I am so messed up that I just have to keep reading until I read about 15 chapters and then I feel better. <laughs> you ever do that? And you can't say what you've really read, <laughs> but you know it's been good and it's helped you. Okay, but there are times where we go to the Lord and we need to expect as we read. And if it's only that one sentence, God has given me everything that pertains to life and godliness, mull it over, talk it out, mutter it. You ever find yourself muttering? Sometimes at work, if there are people talking and we have like partitions, and I'm trying to focus on something on the computer that I have to get done, sometimes I'll mutter what I'm thinking out loud so that I can really concentrate. Well, that's what meditation is as well, that you are pulling it into you. You are drawing it on purpose so that I'm, that's, that's part of meditation. So it's devotional reading to get to know God better and to get his word in. So, okay, so now I told you to turn to Mark 4, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Thank you, Luann. <laughs> right? Have you seen The Chosen? Matthew became a scribe. Glory to God, you know. We, and we're, we're going to go see The Chosen, by the way, in the theaters. This, this one I really want, so if you want to know more about that, let me know. And I'll, I'll let you know what we're doing. Okay. So we're going to turn to Mark 4, and we're going to go to verse 24. This is Jesus is talking here. He said to them, Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that has, to him shall be given. And he that has not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. We'll understand that a little bit better as we go on. But it's, um, it's a principle in the word. In All right, let's turn quick to Proverbs. Well, keep your finger there in Mark 4. Don't lose it. <laughs> let's turn to Proverbs. Let me think. Um, yeah, Proverbs 4, 20, verse 20. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. I'm going to stop there. My son, attend to my words. That word in Hebrew is a picture word. It actually means a dog with its ears pointed straight up. You know, when a dog wants to really, I, I don't know, I don't own dogs, but there's something about the dog's ears being pointed up. It means he's paying attention, he's alert, right? So that's what God is saying, be alert, pay attention, concentrate. And then it says, incline thine ear. So do me a favor, to incline means to bend. Say your name without bending, and then say your name after you bend. Hear the difference? It's, it's amazing that well, this is what he's telling us to do. He's saying, stretch and bend your ear. Hear, really hear what I'm saying to you. So, okay, go back to Mark 4. Okay. So, and Maria, thank you. I'm sorry. We've heard this before, so <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, we're talking about the sower soweth the word, and we've talked a little bit in verse, sorry, verse 14. Um, we talked a little bit about the word, and let's see, we talked about meditation. We talked about the integrity of the word. Um, we talked about hearing it, that there's a more sure word, that um, they found the book of Isaiah, almost the entire book of Isaiah, in a cave, and they called it the Dead Sea Scrolls, and that this proved that what we have in the book of Isaiah now actually was almost, almost word for word, and if there were any errors in it, it was tiny little spelling or not just a few, and it was nothing major concept at all. So we still have the sense that archeology span has proved the word of God to be true, um, history has proved Jesus was alive. Um, our own experience, we can tell people, yes, we know God is real. You know, so all of these things combine. And I, what, it's okay. 
the question is for the word as we're as we're looking into this not you know how can i improve my life it's not how can i change this thing how can i lose weight how can i get my children to obey me what how can i get more money for, to feed my family it's those are not the questions to ask the question to ask is how can i stay in the word more how can i make time for the word and so once you switch over to that and you make the word the central part get your schedule around the word now i can tell you from experience that when i have a desperate situation <laughs> that's when i do that <laughs> you know but the world is so busy and we have you know 40 hours a week jobs or you know things at home that have to get done we don't think of arranging our schedule around the word but i'll tell you since i've been desperate because i need to speak before you all <laughs> i have been in the word and there is a difference there really is and you'd think i'd stick with it you know so we'll t- ask me in about a month <laughs> how you doing with making time for the word <laughs> i might ask one of you too <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's see. All right. Okay, the sower soweth the word. The word is seed. And something we need to know is what a seed is like. What is inherent in the seed? What is it born with, so to speak? And let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. You can keep your finger in Mark 4. We're definitely going to be back there. So Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 For the word of God King James says is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. in uh in other translations it says for the word of god the word that god speaks is alive and full of power and the reason for that is that the word is god and god is the word and the word is jesus and jesus is the word and jesus is alive and therefore the word is alive it's not like any other book and we know that i'm talking to the choir here but it's truly powerful Amen. so the seed now one thing interesting about a seed mm-hmm. is that if you plant it like in a in a glass planetarium thing in one inch of dirt and you have another one that has 8 inches of dirt in it you put that seed in there the seed has energy The seed is going to first send roots down and it's going to go down into that 1 inch of soil and it can't go any further. So it shoots up. And it'll go up about a tomato seed will go up about a foot. Now, if you plant the same kind of tomato seed in the 8 inches of ground, you're not going to see it shoot up. it's going to develop roots and its energy is going to bring it all the way down to where it can't go any further but that's going to give it the strength to come up with that one in the 1 inch of soil it jumps up to a foot 
it turns grayish pale and then it withers and dies. It cannot bear fruit because there's no nourishment. There's no soil underneath it. But the seed has the energy to produce. And the same thing now with the eight inches of soil, that thing grows strong and it gets buds. It's like that scripture that says first the, what, first the leaf or whatever, first the blade and then the ear and then, thank you, the corn in the ear. So it bears fruit and it has to have a stake because the fruit is so heavy and rich. So that's part of the word, the seed's power to produce that's why we're saying effortless change. The word has the power. And all I can think of, and we're all adults here, good. <laughs> Forgive me, this is not bad. It's, it's the sperm of a man has power in it to produce. And all the egg of the woman needs is to welcome it. Just open up and let it come in, and then bang, you've got a child being developed. Yes. So to me, the power of this seed is much greater than I ever realized as far as the word going in our hearts goes. All right, so the sower sows the power of God in the word. And these are they, in verse 15, by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. All right, so this first kind of ground. So when we're putting the word in, the, in our hearts, in our minds, first, check your soil. We're going to be farmers. If we're going to be farmers, we have to discover what the soil is like, what's going on in the soil, and then we can plant our precious seed that has power to produce. So um, the hard ground is, is just ground where the seed just lies on top. Now, this is where you're most vulnerable to Satan coming and stealing it from you. And there's a portion of scripture, I apologize, I don't know where it is, is something that says it's because they didn't understand what the word was. So like I said in the beginning, read it, continue to read it, continue to ask the Holy Spirit, open my eyes, help me understand. So if we lack understanding, Satan has the ability to just pull it away. Okay, now in verse 16, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. All right, so I want to go back. It says, when they've heard the word, immediately they receive it. There's your word, lamvano doxatotheo. It's the Greek word that means to take and get a hold of. So they take and get a hold of the word, and they get it with gladness, and they're excited, but they're the one inch of soil. So if they don't, go deeper. It's like we hear the word every Sunday, and I'm like, why am I not living a certain portion of it? Why am I not actually applying it to my life and taking each day, each step, and saying, okay, here's what we heard on Sunday, so therefore I will act 
accordingly. So it's because we haven't taken the time to let it grow roots. Keep thinking about it. Keep doing it. And part of, uh, I was saying, Lord, how do I grow roots? How do I get it way down deep where I want it to be? And the Lord brought me to Dr. Caroline Leaf, you know, and she said that if you just spend 7 to 15 minutes a day taking a thought that you know is wrong, examining it and saying, what is it that I'm thinking? Why am I thinking it? Asking questions and, and sort of discussing between you and the Lord or you're just with yourself. Why am I thinking like this? Writing down the thoughts, and as random as they may be, and looking at them, reading them afterward and saying, okay, what can I do about this today? Just something small, today. Now, she says the key is do that every day, not just for seven days. She says after seven days, you're going to think you got it all. She said, go on to the 14th day. And after the 14th day, you say, oh, well, that, that's, that's fine. I'm good. I'm good now. She said, no, go to the 21st day. That's when it starts taking roots. And it's like, Lord, <laughs> am I going to do this for 21 days? <laughs> you know. <laughs> but really, if we take the word with the wrong thought, I bet we could. I bet we could. And it it change at the same time that we're seeing the wrong thought, we put in the right thought, and the roots are going to go down. And then she says, now you go to 63 days. After the 21st day, count to 63, and your whole demeanor is going to change. Your outward is going to be different. So I throw that out at you, not like that I've done it, so <laughs> just like... I was, it's an answer. It's sort of an answer. It's something that, yes, anyway. So, but truly, the, as much as I've been in the Word now, I can see, I can see the, the confidence, which I usually don't have, coming back. It's like, oh, I see. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so. Immediately, they are offended. And I'm not sure if I should go into this or not. Okay, I'm going to share. Okay, John the Baptist had it all. He was filled with the Spirit by his, from his mother's womb. And then he had the Spirit of God. You know, he saw the Spirit of God come on Jesus. He knew Jesus was the Messiah. He was pointing under people to the Messiah. He was the most perfect guy in the whole New Testament next to Jesus. And he doubted. He was in prison. And this is kind of where I've been. It's like the Lord's been saying, all right, for a whole year, I've been back from YWAM. And it's like, Mary, I just want you to be. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. I've got to do something and be significant or whatever. That, that has been my challenge. To think of John, who was possibly in prison from six to two months. And John began to question. And the question that he asked in the Greek actually is, should we be looking for another Messiah of a different character? John was fire and brimstone, pretty much. He was calling out sin. And he was saying, hey, turn. 
This is, we're preparing the way for the Lord. And here comes Jesus, and what is he doing? He's blessing the people. He's healing the people. He's being good to the people. And John couldn't figure it out. It was like it didn't fit either the Old Testament way of thinking was they were expecting a reigning king to come and overcome the Romans. And Jesus was just not that way. So here's what Jesus answered John after he said, you know, go back and tell John, I'm healing the sick, I'm raising the dead, I'm healing the blind. He says, and spiritually prosperous, meaning blessed, is he whoever does not find in me that of which he disapproves and which hinders him from acknowledging my authority. And let's break that down just a bit. When God doesn't do it our way, we say, Lord, what are you doing? And we wrestle. We wrestle, we get angry, God can handle it. He understands. But if we disapprove, we're also saying to him, I'm not sure I want you as my Lord. You know, this is not going my way. This is not what I think ought to be happening. And that was the issue. That's the issue with doubt. That if we question how he's doing our lives, then we're saying, well, I don't know, do I really want you as my Lord? That's the point of saying, okay, I give up. And I think that's what he's aiming for. He loves dependency. And it's not that our dreams can't come to pass either. I mean, we know that happens. We know that we can put a vision out there. Um, you know, you've heard of tons of people that have gotten a picture and have thanked God for that picture. And the thing comes to pass miraculously. There's no way they could do it. So I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But if you find yourself in that situation like John was, you know, pulled apart, not doing his ministry, wondering what it's all about, we can still say, God, you're Lord and I trust you. Okay. I guess I had to say that, and I'm not sure why, but it, if nothing else, it was for me. So, um, all right, so verse 18, and then I'll, I'll be closing after that. These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. All right, so this is the only ground so far that bears fruit. It's bearing something, but it's bearing busyness. And this is how we get cares, especially. You know, Pastor Tom's been saying, I don't have to worry anymore. So there's one eliminated. Hallelujah. And, and I love in, uh, in Titus, it says, um, the grace of God has appeared to all men teaching us that, denying ungodliness, which is what Pastor Tom was talking about. That Greek word, denying, it means contradicting. I love it. Contradicting ungodliness. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not me. I don't have to receive that. So, anyway, that's free. <laughs> I'm going all over the place. I'm going to have to listen to this to find out what I actually said. Okay. So, um, all right, so it's really the kind of busyness where we've not 
recognized the word and made it central. And the deceitfulness of riches, I mean, I think pleasures sometimes, you know, I just want an ice cream cone and it's like, okay, that's not bad. But if I want too many ice cream cones, you know, and maybe all in one night, that's not good. <laughs> that's like the pleasures of this world and the lusts of wanting other things. Okay, so it chokes it, it suffocates the word. And we've been there. Okay, so here we are in verse 20. Thank you, Lord. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some in 100. Okay, I want to point out. The first group just heard the word. The second group heard the word and took it, Lambano, took it for themselves. The third group I had heard, I think, but the fourth group, not only did they hear, it's another word for receive. It's not take, get a hold of. It is welcome. It's not one-handed grabbing. It's both hands opening and pulling it in. And that makes the difference. And that's kind of what we've been saying all along, is that let's do that with the word check your, check your ground. Sometimes the stones for me are that I'm too lazy. I don't want to spend the time. I don't want to make the time. <laughs> so, so if I'm finding myself stony ground, I, I have to dig, don't I, to get it out. If you find yourself with cares and just all over the place, take the time before you go to bed and get the word and get a scripture, one scripture. And as you go to sleep, think about it. You know, let that. And find, you can, you can Google which I didn't have. I had Strong's Concordance. You know, you find concordances. Let's do it. And so I'm going to seal this with prayer, okay? And thank you so much for listening. I love you all. Okay. Father, we've come to your word, and we've seen what you desire. You desire our glorification. That is your plan. And, Lord, that's going to take your word and your spirit. So we are asking... Help us to make the time for your word and Holy Spirit, open it up to us and help us keep it in our hearts and let it be rooted and let us be rooted and grounded in your love that we may produce Christ-likeness and you be glorified. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. shall be added on